If you have your Bibles, you're going to be reading out of a couple different books today. So uh, we're going to be reading in Psalm chapter 146, Mark chapter 11, and Micah chapter 6. I'll give you just a minute to get those. A lot of scriptures today, but that's okay. That's what's important. Amen. Psalm chapter 146, verse 7 says, Which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. Mark chapter 11. Verse 15 says, And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them out, out them that sold and bought in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And back to Micah chapter 6. Verse 6 says, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And this is our focus verse for today, verse 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The Lord's voice crieth unto the city, and the man of wisdom shall see thy name. Hear ye the rod, and who hath appointed it? Are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is abominable? I'm having a hard time reading that today. Shall I count them pure with the wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Verse 8, but to do justly, what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and we're going to talk about today for just a little bit, a God of justice. A God of justice, amen. Why don't you ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and our minds today in Jesus' name. Lord, anoint my lips of clay. Use me, God. Lord, I don't want to speak a single word that's not ordained by you, but speak through me, God. Speak to my heart and my mind. Anoint me, Jesus. Anoint my ears to hear and my heart to receive. Anoint my lips of clay. We do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap as you're seated. Amen, amen. This this passage of Scripture, this story I read in Mark, we're all pretty familiar with this scene that was taking place in that passage of Scripture. On that unforgettable day, Jesus in the temple seemed to be everywhere at once. He was... Flipping tables. You ever play a game with somebody and they get mad and flip a table? Brother Zach, I think they call that rage quitting. He was, he was flipping benches, flipping tables, leaving a trail of chaos in his wake everywhere that he went. And men shouted in surprise and they shouted in anger as they clawed at the air, desperately trying to recapture doves that Jesus had freed from their cages. Money changers crawled, I can just see them now, crawling on the floor, grasping at coins that had scattered across the ground, trying to keep 
their profits from leaving their sight. They didn't want to lose the money that they had made. Jesus' disciples, they scrambled for cover and they ducked as doves fluttered past their heads. No one wanted to be in Jesus' way as he furiously rushed about the court of the Gentiles. All eyes were focused on him. The indignation in his eyes mirrored the outrage that was in his heart because of what was happening in the temple precincts. He took this personally, and we know that this was not the first time that Jesus had done this. This was not the first time that Jesus had behaved this way. The disciples had witnessed him do something similar just three years earlier when Jesus chased merchants and money changers out of the temple with a whip. But as we know, this call to repentance that had gone out did not last for too long. Three years isn't that long. The religious profiteers returned, and so had Jesus. And his passion for protecting the sanctity of the temple grounds had not lessened. Because temple life had not always been this way. At one time, sacrifices were sold and money exchanged at markets on the Mount of Olives. But the high priest, Caiaphas, responding to pressure from other Jewish leaders, granted permission for these markets to be relocated to the court of the Gentiles on the temple campus. Overnight, a place that had been dedicated to prayer and to worship was transformed into nothing more than a shopping center. Gentile worshipers were crowded out by greedy merchants and the Jewish leaders seemed to be all right with what was happening. In their eyes, these Gentile interlopers were unfit to even set foot on the temple precincts anyways. But Jesus was angry. My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. He fumed while quoting Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7. He looked around eyeing the money changers and merchants who were glaring at him with malicious expressions. And he replied and told them, ye have made it a den of thieves. The disciples discovered that Nothing seemed to make Jesus Jesus angrier than abuse and injustice in the name of religion. They did not realize that their master would soon suffer even worse abuse at the hands of men who believed they were doing God's will. Reverence for holy things would soon become the pretense for the most Horrible crime in history, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus turned on his heel and strode out of the temple as his disciples followed closely behind. You see, justice, what we're talking about today, is a biblical principle, and God is just. It's part of his character. He he can't choose to be anything other than just. Even a cursory review of the Bible reveals how much God cares about justice. The Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, appears 421 times in the Old Testament. And it is frequently translated as judgment in the King James Version. I googled this word mishpat because I wanted to make sure I was getting the full definition and the word mishpat does not just mean justice as we know it, but it means equality or giving people their rights. Uh, mishpat is giving people what they are due, whether it be punishment or protection or care. That's what true justice is. When we think of justice in our modern terms, we interpret uh, uh, justice as punishment, For what a person's done. Doing what is right. But justice is so much more than that. And we're going to talk about this later on. Justice is care and protection for others. Care and protection for us. Amen. 
Most often, talking about uh, justice is meant talking about someone paying for their wrong deeds. But biblical justice stretches far beyond that. It means we are given to us what is due. God is a just God, like I said. He can't do anything other than be just because it is his nature. But in God's infinite wisdom, for some reason, I don't understand why God chooses to work the way he does or why he chooses to do the things he does. If I did, I'd have all the answers in the world, probably. (laughs) But God, in his infinite wisdom, he chose to give a people like me and you and people all over the world that was deserving of destruction, amen, that was deserving of death. That's the only right, the only inheritance we have in this life uh, that is uh, rightfully ours is sin and death, amen? But God, in all of his infinite wisdom, chose to give us a period of time, this dispensation of grace after he died on the cross for us. He chose to give sinners like me and you a short amount of time where we can receive mercy and grace. Amen. I don't know about you, but I fall short of the throne of God every day. And overcoming sin or the condemnation that comes with sin can be a difficult thing at times. Because we're not deserving of his mercy. We're not deserving of his grace, amen? We don't deserve second chances. And sometimes, most of the time, us Christians, not just Pentecostals, but any denomination you want to say, we treat forgiveness, we treat mercy, we treat grace, we treat second chances, we treat all of these things, the love of God, as though it is a right that we deserve and not a privilege that God gives to us, even though we are undeserving. Amen? His mercy and His grace is not a right. Amen? Our only right is judgment. Our only right is sin. Our only right, our only inheritance is death. Amen? But God chose to give me and you and everybody all over the world a period of time of grace and mercy. Amen? We can't earn His grace. We don't deserve His grace. It doesn't matter how much good we do in this life. People say all the time, I'm a good person. It doesn't matter how good of a person I am. I cannot earn the mercy and grace of God. But God Himself chose to come to this sinful earth and wrap Himself in flesh and die on a cross so that I don't have to face judgment. Amen? But I have mercy and grace applied to me because of the blood of Jesus every day. Amen. Come on, somebody. I don't want to take for granted the mercy and grace of God. I don't want to treat the blood of God like it's something I can apply so that I can go out and do whatever I want to. We're not deserving of his mercy. But God chose to die for a world full of sin. God chose to die for a people that rejected him. And a people that continue to reject him every day. By putting other things before him. He chose to do that because he loves us that much. He loves me and you that much. I don't want to take the mercy of God for granted, amen. I don't want to take his grace for granted. I don't want to take the blood of Jesus for granted. Because while we have grace now, there will come a time when a just God will give the judgment to us that we are due. Acts chapter 2 verse 40 says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 says, For we must all 
appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. When I was studying this, studying this lesson, I don't know exactly why God brought these scriptures or these thoughts to my mind and my spirit. But I'll just be honest with you in this trial health issues, these things I've been going through in the last few weeks. Most of it was probably from my own doing, Sister Letha, my own mind, making things worse. But I'll be honest with you. I've been scared. And if there's one thing I've learned in the past few weeks is I've got to be ready when my number is called. So often we go to sleep thinking we're going to wake up the next morning. We get in our car thinking we're going to drive down the road and it's going to be all right. Death can come in an instant. And if there's one thing that we need to do every day, not just a Sunday, Wednesday kind of thing, we need to make sure we are ready. I want to be ready, amen. I don't want to miss heaven for anything in this world, amen. I want to make heaven my home. So often, we put God into our weekly checklist. We've made living for God, a saying people like to use, is church culture, religion. That's what we've made living for God. Instead of relationship, most people don't have relationship, unfortunately. We have religion. We have tradition. We have a checklist that we, Sunday, I made it to church. Wednesday, I showed up. I read my Bible once or twice this week. I may have prayed to God when I needed something. That's not relationship. God wants relationship with us. Amen. When's the last time that we've truly been moved by repentance? Repentance is not a pretty thing. It's placing ourselves on the altar and dying out to God. When is the last time we truly laid ourselves on the altar and died out to God in repentance, not just a five-minute prayer or a two-minute prayer, Lord, forgive me before I go to sleep. I want to repent. I repent every day. And in the past couple weeks, I've been repenting multiple times a day. Because <laughs> I want to be ready. And I'd rather face God's judgment at the altar every day than stand before the throne of judgment in the end times facing judgment because I didn't repent. Amen. We need to have a repentant heart. Amen. If there's something in my life, this is what I've been praying. If there's something in my life that's going to keep me from heaven, take it away from me, God. Kill it out of my body. Kill it out of my life. When's the last time that we were praying or we were driving down the street or we were in our daily life and we felt the call of God call us to a deeper walk with him. And we answered. When's the last time, we like to say this scripture a lot, but when's the last time I truly hungered 
and thirsted after righteousness. I don't want to put God in a checklist that I do weekly or daily. Prayer is not my daily checklist so that I can say I pray today. Reading my Bible is not my daily checklist so I can feel like I, I ticked it off the list and I don't feel bad about it later. Hey Amen. I don't know why I'm talking about this so much. This isn't even in part of the lesson. We've got to have a relationship with God. Amen. So many of our churches are stuck in church tradition and church norm that... I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes I see altar calls and I get angry. Where's repentance? Where's moving after uh, the deep things of God without concern for time or who's around us? Amen. Above all else, I want to follow after God. I want to do what God called me to do. I want to walk with him. I want to talk with him. And if I've got to move things out of my life, if I've got to move people out of my life, then so be it. Because I've got to make heaven my home, no matter the cost. Amen? There's going to come a time where mercy and grace ends and judgment begins. And when that day comes, I want to be ready. Amen? we got to let God move us. we got to let God work on our hearts. Amen? I've been stirred up the last month. Maybe God did this to me for a reason, to get me stirred up. But I want to see apostolic authority in action, amen. I want to see signs and wonders. I don't want to just be stuck in religious tradition and the dogma of man. I'm tired of dead church. I'm tired of not seeing miracles and seeing people healed and seeing people receive the Holy Ghost, amen. We ought to be able to go out into the streets and lay hands on somebody and then be healed. Amen. We ought to be in our homes teaching Bible studies and seeing people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We ought to be in Walmart and not afraid to say, God loves you. I love you. Let me show you the truth. Let me pull you out of the sin of this world. Amen. Come on, somebody. There's a lost and dying world and God needs our help to reach them. We've got to move ourselves out of tradition. We've got to move ourselves out of our religious checklist and say, Use me, God. Move me, God. Call me deeper. Draw me closer. I don't know about you, but I've got to get all I can get from God every day. Because I cannot make it through this life without him. I want to talk to God. Recently, I've gotten out of my, my habit of praying to God. You know, it's, it's okay to pray how we pray. I still do that. <clears throat> but I've moved into a place where I just talk to God. During my day, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll lay in my bed with my eyes closed, and I'll tell God everything that happened that day. And then I'll say, because not just because I want to ask him for things or I want to talk to him, I'll ask him, how was your day? How did you feel today? And I was doing that the other day, and I felt in my spirit. I, I heard the words of God in my mind that said, I loved people today. I felt love today, but I also was sad today because I had a people that I filled with my spirit, that I've forgiven, that put me on the back burner. I want relationship with God, amen. I've got to know him deeper. I've got to draw closer to him because I cannot make it without him. Amen. Amen. We as believers, we should care about justice because God cares about justice. Deuteronomy chapter 34 and 4, 32 and 4, excuse me, <clears throat> describes the Almighty by saying, 
All his ways are judgment. It's that word mishpat. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Psalm chapter 146, verse 7 through 9 that we read, elaborates on God's justice by declaring he upholds the cause of the oppressed. God's justice is demonstrated in his actions. Jesus performed many miracles for the benefit of the poor and the oppressed, including widows, those who were sick, and society's outcasts, such as lepers. The first miracle performed in the book of Acts was the healing of a lame beggar. Jesus and his followers believed in and practiced justice. And as God's people, we are to be just. As spirit-filled believers, we must also be just, which includes giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. We need to be just in our daily lives. The book of Proverbs promotes the pursuit of justice in daily life, including in the marketplace. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just way is his delight. So while most of us, anybody ever use weights and scales and balances anymore? While we don't use those things on the job, there is a timeless call for honesty, amen? Honesty in our daily lives, honesty in our business. We've all heard stories of crooked businessmen. Christians should not participate in any business transaction that knowingly takes advantage of others, especially the poor and the needy. Some careers, I know we got to make money, but I still believe that some careers should be off limits to believers for this reason, because we cannot behave honestly or just while we are doing it. Christians who serve in positions of leadership or authority must treat their employees, their co-workers, their customers, whoever is underneath them with uh, fairly and with respect, regardless of the circumstances. We cannot mistreat and abuse others and expect to disciple them to Jesus. It just does not make sense. So what does God require of us? When you say we must be just, what does that mean that I should do? From this point on this lesson, we're going to talk about justice in the sense of protection and care and love towards others. Amen. The prophet Micah asked a question that we read in Micah chapter 6, verse 6. <coughs> Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Micah then launched into a list of extravagant offerings and sacrifices, including thousands of rams, and 10,000 rivers of oil. Micah asked if God requires us to sacrifice everything, including our firstborn child. These questions were rhetorical because God, most of the time, God does not ask us to give what we don't have. None of us, I don't think, have access to 10,000 rivers of oil. And I don't think Micah did either. <laughs> Amen. God, this is a tough one, God is not impressed with an outward show of worship and sacrifice that tries to mask the stench of a disobedient heart. Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah when he said of the religious leaders of his day, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me. True sacrifice is not done out of vain tradition or prodding. Or competition with those around us. But true sacrifice comes from the heart. Amen. 
not just the heart, but an obedient heart, Brother Anthony. Sometimes it's better to be obedient than to sacrifice. Amen? Later in the same gospel, Jesus again confronted the Pharisees about their practice of tithing on the herbs that they grew in their gardens. And their fastidious approach to giving may have been commendable, but they were ignoring what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Personal holiness, personal morality are important. We need those things. But they do not excuse a lack of care and concern for others. Sacrifice in one area does not make up for disobedience in another area. Amen. God has shown us what is good and what he requires. Micah said in Micah chapter 6 verse 8 to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. To sum it up, when we say what does God require of us, God is looking for a pure heart that serves God and serves others. God is looking for people that love him. And show his love towards others. If we're not showing his love towards others, do we truly love him? Because if it's in our heart, it's going to come out one way or another. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we truly love God, we can't help but love others. Amen. In today's Western culture, we've all... Most of us are on Facebook or social media of some kind. It's become popular to express good thoughts to others. You ever see that? Good, send good thoughts my way. <laughs> Sending good thoughts. Good vibes. This has become the current substitute. You know, now you can't comment a lot of times, I'm praying for you. You have to say, sending good thoughts your way. But good thoughts only benefit the person that's thinking them. <laughs> good words, even good words, are really not much more effective. We've all been in a place when someone tries to offer words of condolence or console to us in a time of hurt, in a time of pain. And while we appreciate it, it doesn't really help. The thought, we appreciate the thought, but words don't make up for the pain most of the time. Prayer is great, amen? And we need to pray for those that need prayer. I I, I don't know about you, but I want people to pray for me all the time. So if if you feel the burden to pray for me, just go ahead and do it. Amen. <laughs> but, and I'm not saying we need to stop praying for others. We need to pray. God needs a praying church. If we're not a praying church, then we're not going to see what God has for us. But sometimes... We use praying for someone as a cop-out. We say, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying that the Lord meets the need. When really, we ourselves could help them. Or we ourselves could meet the need. But instead, we say, Even prayer is not a valid substitute when we could take action to help. God requires us to do justly, not just think, talk, and yes, I'm not saying not to pray for somebody. But he requires us to do more than even pray justly. The New Testament writer James pointed out, 
In James chapter 2, verse 15, he says, If her brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food. I'm not destitute of daily food, as you can tell. <laughs> Amen. But if they were, and I say unto them, or one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things. You tell them, be warm, be filled. But you don't give them those things which are needful to the body. He says, what doth it profit? Verse 17, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. I'm praying for you. It's good. But it does not lessen my hunger pains. There is only one solution for an empty stomach. <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> Triple cheeseburger with a large fry and a... I won't tell you what else I get. Then, then you may think I'm gluttonous. <laughs> Amen. If we have the power to meet a need but we refuse... Our faith is dead. This is what James said. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we command you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. If a person is capable of meeting his or her own needs but refuses to do so due to laziness, that is another matter. Justice is an act, not a feeling. Justice involves rolling up our sleeves and getting personally involved in relieving the suffering of the world. Amen. Amen. If we want to bring heaven to earth, we must start by pursuing justice. When we recognize how merciful God has been to us personally, like we talked about earlier, it will produce the proper attitude that we need to do the work of justice. That's why we got to remind ourselves of the mercy and grace of God. Amen. Because a true understanding of mercy will keep us from arrogantly dismissing the downtrodden and the hurting as losers who just need to work harder or make better choices. Those who do justly know that if it were not for God's grace and mercy, then we would not be... In a, very, in a much different place than they are. Amen? The just person knows that God loves hurting people regardless of how they look, talk, or even smell. Amen. Just people express genuine sympathy and concern for others, including taking actions to meet their needs and relieve suffering. As Micah noted, humility is necessary. Many in the world cannot claim responsibility for many of the blessings that they enjoy. Our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents worked hard to give us the life we now enjoy. We have been afforded many opportunities others may have not been given. And even if we always made good choices in life, they were often a result of biblical teaching and wisdom we received, not from our own personal goodness. And we must remember the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. One of those requirements is showing mercy, grace, and compassion to those who have not enjoyed the same blessings we have enjoyed. There was a question on here. Most of the time when it has a question, I delete them off the lesson, but I kept this one in there. It says, make a list of blessings you have received in your life because of someone else's sacrifice. Now, how could you sustain, sustain that cycle of blessing to others? We want to be blessed a lot, but we forget about blessing others a lot of times. Amen. 
This brings us back full circle to the temple in Jerusalem. When Jesus entered the temple precincts and confronted the merchants and money changers, he directly assailed the most powerful religious family in Jerusalem. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, Ananus, the son of Sethi, had been appointed high priest by the Roman governor Cyrenus in A.D. 6 or 7, and he served until being deposed in A.D. 15. Annas used his time in office to build a thriving business that came to be known as the booths or the bazaars of the sons of Annas. All Annas's five sons followed their father in the office of high priest. The booths of Annas had a monopoly on the sale of sacrificial animals. And they conducted their lucrative lucrative trade in the court of the Gentiles. So when Jesus cleansed the temple of this corruption, this high priest felt the sting in his wallet. Annas and Caiaphas and the rest of their cartel were wicked men who did not mind exploiting worshipers for personal gain. But Jesus did not share that attitude. And quoting Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7, Jesus reaffirmed that God intended his house to be a place for all nations. Jesus did not abuse anyone, but neither was he afraid to confront those who refused to repent or whose actions kept others from God. Jesus fought on behalf of the excluded and the marginalized to make sure they had access to God. Amen. Jesus' insistence that his house be called a house of prayer illustrates there can be no true justice without prayer. We cannot even know what justice is until we have first sought after God because God is the only true justice. Amen. Without prayer, humanity's pursuit of justice will be corrupted. Even today, most demands that we see in the world for justice are little more than thinly veiled desires for revenge. True justice is not making someone else suffer payback for our own hardships. Our parents and grandparents have often taught us that two wrongs do not make a right. But if we are not spirit-led, human passions will corrupt even the best intentions. We need to pray, amen, if we are to have God's perspective on and passion for justice. If we do not pray, then we will be tempted to sweep injustices under the rug. Pursuing justice can be difficult and painful, and it often seems easier to ignore problems than to deal with the problem, amen? Pursuing justice is rarely convenient for us. It makes people uncomfortable. Only through prayer does the Holy Spirit give us the desire to deal with injustices. And wisdom. We've got to have wisdom. If we don't have wisdom, we'll allow our human emotions to bring us. We think we're bringing justice to people, but we're really just terrorizing So I will love and support those who have been wrong. That is our calling. How should the church respond to injustice in our world? The answer begins with an acknowledgement of our past. We like to forget our past, but we need to acknowledge our past. God warned Israel that they would enjoy blessings he had prepared for them, excuse me, when they finally entered the promised land. But they would need to routinely remember where they came from. The purpose of this exercise was to continually remind the people of Israel to show compassion to and administer justice on behalf of the less fortunate. Israel forgot this lesson. We oneness, Pentecostals, we're only a few generations removed from worshiping under brush arbors while being pelted with rotten fruit. Pentecostals. Back in the day, there's a lot of Pentecostals now, they, Pentecostals. Pentecostals were mocked as holy rollers. Remember holy rollers? 
and accused of being devil-possessed or insane. Many early Pentecostals were poor, uneducated, lacked social standing, but God's power compensated for that. Entire families were changed forever by the Pentecostal experience. And as the years passed by, brush arbors were replaced by state-of-the-art church facilities, lights, latest innovations, technology. The people on the pews, we went to college, we went to high school, we, we got better paying jobs, we achieved respectability in the community, we gained status. But while we should celebrate advancement, we must never forget who we once were. We cannot turn our backs on the persecuted and the disadvantaged because this was us. I've heard it said before. And when the person told me this, I said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Do not say that again. They said, I don't need to witness to that person because they're too wild. They're a drug addict. They're violent. They don't belong in a church. I heard that. And I hope they said it out of their lack of understanding and not a true show of their nature. But the church is not meant for perfect people. We're not perfect. I heard that and I said, can this how can this possibly? I hope this is not the mindset of any number of apostolic Pentecostals or the apostolic church. And I, I reminded them and I remind myself and I'm reminding us today that we're all sinners, amen? We're all sinners saved by grace, amen? Such were some of you, says the Bible. What good does it do to gain knowledge, to gain wealth, to gain respect if it causes us to turn our backs on the lost, amen? There is no right person to disciple. There is no right person to teach a Bible study to. We are all sinners saved by grace. There is no right person that we allow to walk through the doors of a church building, amen? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, amen? And the church is not in the perfect people business, amen? But we're in the business of showing and reaching for the lost and letting them know there's a better life. There's a life full of love. There's a life full of mercy and grace, amen? We got to remind ourselves of our past because if we don't, We'll reject those that we used to be. Church history includes many examples of men and women who dedicated their lives to ministering to the less fortune. A.B. Simpson, a Canadian-born Presbyterian pastor and theologian, he graduated from Knox College in Toronto, Toronto, Ontario, and Simpson began serving in a series of pastorates. He first served in Hamilton, Ontario, and then Louisville, Kentucky. Finally, in 1880, he was called to serve as the pastor of 13th Street Presbyterian Church in New York City. This was a prestigious post with an annual salary of $5,000. And when adjusted for inflation, that would equate to a big six-figure salary today. Immigrants were flooding into New York City in the early 1880s, and Simpson had burdened to minister to these new arrivals. Most of them were newcomers that were poor, and they had not yet adopted American customs. And as an immigrant himself, Simpson undoubtedly felt sympathy for their situations. But when he tried to add approximately 100 Italian immigrants to the roles at his church, the church leaders refused to let them join 
They were worried that allowing poor immigrants, immigrants to become part of their congregation would discourage their rich friends and neighbors from joining their church. He was so disgusted by these leaders' attitudes that he quit. And he then founded Gospel Tabernacle, a church in the heart of the city where all the poor, homeless, sick, and displaced would be welcome. His passion for reaching the world only continued to grow. Simpson dreamed of serving as a missionary in China, but when, the, when that did not work out, he turned his attention to other pursuits. He published the missions magazine and opened a college to train missions workers. And in 1887, he founded what would become known as the Christian and Missionary Alliance, an organization that is still in operation today. So I ask this question as we're ending, is the church a comfortable place where only people just like us are welcome? Or do we have room for the hurting, the outcast, and the people that nobody else wants? Are we willing to love and serve those who have faced injustice and abuse at the hands of this world? And at the hands of religion. And to what lengths are we willing to go to love and serve others? How we answer that question may determine how much we really want to be like Jesus. Amen. I want to make my calling and election sure. I want to make sure that I'm ready when my time comes. Amen. And I want to show the love of God to others. Amen. I want to show the love of God to others, amen? If that's you today, why don't you lift your hands and begin to worship God for just a moment? Help me to show your love to others. Help me to get out of my, my religious tradition, my checklist, and help me to move and follow after the Spirit. Help me to follow after true justice, God. Help me to follow and love others like you love them, amen? Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. I want God to move. I want God to move. And in order to do that, we may have to step outside our comfort zone. We may have to push some things aside. We may have to sacrifice some things. Some things God may ask us to give up that aren't even wrong. And sometimes, I told the youth, youth this, sometimes we need to go the extra mile without being asked. I want to see a true move of God. And to do that, we're going to have to go above and beyond what we have. Amen. Amen. Take a couple minutes, greet somebody today, tell them you're thankful to see them in the house of the Lord. I love you all so much. In Jesus' name.